This episode of LA Meekly is brought to you by Alto. Alto is a rideshare company focused on consistency, luxury, and safety. You feel like a VIP, which means very important passenger, every time you ride with Alto. Unlike the others, all Alto vehicles are the same. The company manages its own fleet of luxury SUVs, which are Alto branded and outfitted with great amenities like bottled water, Wi-Fi, and charging cables. So you get the same exact ride experience every time and you know what to expect and don't have to worry about getting into the wrong car. That is a consistent worry of mine is that I'm going to get into a car and they're going to, at the moment, realize they want to kidnap me. They're like, oh yeah, we'll we'll just take (laughs) him. I'm in this deep. Talking about the amenities, in my head, I see Kevin McAllister in the back of a limo eating a pizza. That's how they... It's exactly (laughs) like that. So it truly feels like a personal car service on demand. They've taken COVID safety to a new level. Every car has a HEPA filter, plexiglass barriers, and is rigorously disinfected between passengers. All drivers and passengers are required to wear masks at all times. And because Alto employs their drivers, they can actually enforce this. Their professional team of drivers are all trained, background checked employees, not contractors. You can relax knowing that you're riding with a trusted driver and that driver receives critical employee benefits that protects them and you download the alto app you can request your ride on demand or pre-schedule a ride if you download the alto app today and use code la meekly all one word you will receive 30 dollars towards your first alto ride anytime this month so that's alto get to where you're going in style Hi, and welcome to a home edition of L.A. Meekly. The podcast. The At podcast. home. We're holding our mugs full of... Uh Mine's water, Mine, hot it, water at the beginning <laughs> of the day. Coffee's a little too blue for me. That's a man's drink. I'll drink hot water, thank you very much. Tea? No, uh, thank you. I'll drink hot water that's been sitting next to a lemon. <laughs> we, yeah, we're, we're recording this on Zoom because it's cold outside, and yeah. this is just a quick little thing we're doing to introduce, what would you call it? It's not quite a field trip. It's a, a virtual visit. Yeah, it's a virtual visit. A virtual visit. A with digital high five. A digital... Uh, I'm trying to think of something that starts with a D. A digital dungeon? (laughs) Yeah, that's it. It's not digital discussion. Why would it be that? No, it's dungeon. (laughs) Welcome to our digital dungeon. With uh, a very special guest today, we have Max Miller from... From Tasting Tasting History History. on YouTube, which if you're not familiar, do you want to give a rundown of... Because we didn't get... You were saying we didn't quite get... We went into the episode with a base understanding that everybody (laughs) knew what his show was about. And most people, I'm sure, do. But for those who don't, give a little description of what Max Miller does on Tasting History with Max Miller. Max Miller will take a recipe, like a very old recipe that he had to dig up usually. Like like he wants (laughs) to talk about... Sometimes literally. (laughs) He's a grave robber. (laughs) Welcome to the Digital Dungeon. (laughs) My girlfriend got introduced to it through the episode about Pompeii bread. So not only does he show you how to make bread how they did in Pompeii, he'll give you a history lesson. And he's very funny, very um, likable guy. We were both saying about how a really deep dive into the history of these things. And it's great. Like he did just like tomb bread from ancient Egypt. So it's, I I don't even know how he, like, uh, like I said, he's a grave digger. I don't know how he, (laughs) I don't know how he gets these recipes for, for ancient Egyptian tomb bread, but he, he's, they're very thoroughly researched and he cooks everything. And he was saying in the episode that the history parts 
parts are the most watched parts, even compared to the actual cooking parts. And it's it's so interesting because it's a cooking show, yeah. which is one really fun thing to watch. And then and he, makes also, it, he makes it more fun he, than usual, I think. <laughs> yes, he does. And no, every single cooking show is just a, <laughs> a thrill ride to watch. But even if you're not into cooking, there's then a really interesting history lesson. And they're all bite-sized sort of things. Yeah, usually like 15 to 20 minutes. And he has really great recipes for stuff. Some things I would never try. Some things seem very impractical, but then he'll like kind of guide you like, here's how they would do it. And here's how I would do it to make it taste a little bit better. Yes, because that was one thing I brought up of how disgusting food from the past. Uh, you have to change some of those recipes. Like I'm like the Pompeii bread, I'm sure had like, oh, these, the, and then we use rocks from the ocean in, <laughs> in the bread because it's good for your kidneys. And well, I'm sure he changed that to salt or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he has an episode about hardtack and grog, which is like pirate food. Mm, yeah. And, you know, so I'm watching him because I, well, I was very curious what grog was, which I think it's just like rum and water. Isn't that but- the baby Yoda? <laughs> don't start it's just like a little thing like a little aside he's like oh yeah well like we all know that pirates used to work for the british navy <laughs> what is that where pirates come from <laughs> like 10 or so episodes that i've seen i always learn like a little like a sentence that it's like oh that's gonna stick with me because i've been curious about that and i didn't know how to phrase it yeah it's a fun show and it's i'm glad that we were able to get in contact with him to to talk to him because he's a nice guy and he was yeah. fun to talk to and for all of his listeners who might be coming to listen to us for the first time we are LA Meekly. We are a LA history podcast. We don't do any cooking. We refuse. Yeah, I don't know uh, how. I keep burning my hand and I stop. We've done a few food episodes. Our food episodes have covered like fast food around that originated in LA, like In yeah. and Out or Panda Express, Ta- Panda Express, which has some controversy right now, but uh, <laughs> we didn't know that at the time. And then the foods that were invented in LA. Yeah, the way our shows work, we do an intro, a little. Yeah, make it sound a, normal. Like it's we, not we weird. do this completely normal uh, radio <laughs> sketch at the beginning of an introduction for a few minutes that has nothing to do with anything and then we start the episode we talk about something we did in the last month we answer a listener question and then we go into the history so if you want to give us a try here we are you found us somehow but you could listen to us on itunes youtube stitcher and all that yeah so uh what else do we have to say we have to say enjoy the episode it's a lot of fun it's a lot of fun to talk to him and hope that you like it now enjoy this digital dungeon discussion <laughs> uh, see uh? i did what you wanted <laughs> but it is in a dungeon it's a discussion we don't use the dungeon but it is in the dungeon but it is in the dungeon we just don't utilize all of the features of the dungeon we're painting upstairs right now so all our discussions are in the dungeon right now a digital den why didn't you say den because why didn't you say den? i feel more comfortable in a dungeon (laughs) that's been this uh little introduction enjoy our time with max miller of tasting history bye Hello. Hi. Hi. How are you? Here, let me put on my. You can see my. Sorry, I'm unshowered. Un. <laughs> it's a mess. <laughs> I took a shower. I just got out of the shower for this. How dare you? I love that poster behind you, Daniel. Yeah. Is it Jaws, but not Jaws. John? It's the John. It's from the John Williams Hollywood Bowl oh, concert. They so had cool. one that was like a Death Star Hollywood Bowl. But I, they're all threatening. Yeah, <laughs> that's his <laughs> music. <laughs>
He only does aggressive movies. <laughs> he does. I think Harry Potter is about as tame as he gets. You know? <laughs> the poster is him as Voldemort, though. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I mean, it's still aspects. So first I want to ask, are you from L.A.? Uh, no, I'm from Phoenix originally. Okay. Oh, wow. When did you come to L.A.? I came to L.A. in 2012, I think. Okay. But I was in New York for like eight years before that. Why did you come... Why? Why'd you come here? <laughs> Why? Oh, this is so an interrogation, by the way. What are you doing here? <laughs> I came here to pursue voice acting. Oh, cool. So I did that was that what you were doing years. in New York also? No, I was doing musical theater in New York um, okay. on stage, but I kind of fell into voice acting while working for Disney Cruise Line, and oh, I loved okay. it so much that I moved across the country also i was sick of living in new york mm. um impossible I, thought, <laughs> I mean i love i love new york and and but it, it's a hard place to live especially yeah. when you don't have money yeah. <laughs> um la is an easier place to live when you don't have money yeah no place is easy to live but it's easier <laughs> did you take a disney cruise all the way here to get here <laughs> wouldn't that have been nice through, no, I through the on, panama canal you can do that they do do that um really? i mean nobody can cruise right now but so i lived on a cruise ship for almost a year oh wow it was it was heavenly what were you doing <laughs> i was singing performing in in one of the shows and then also doing the the voice of iago the parrot <laughs> Really? <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic. It, it was kind of a weird situation, but it was amazing. I want to ask you to do Iago, but I don't know if I should. It's been a very long time since I've done it, so it's not as spot on, but you know, you kind of got to make the face. <laughs> and you do your best, Gilbert Godfrey. So, but I used to listen to him for like an hour before I would oh do God. it. And it would like, you know, get right I, there in the I see why you got face. out of that field. <laughs> <laughs> I loved doing it. Yeah, that sounds loved great. So you, you actually lived on the boat the whole time. I well, lived I, I on the let, boat. You yeah. wouldn't get off it. I mean, only come they let us off. <laughs> during, in fact, I mean, I oh, barely... Oh, you weren't a prisoner? <laughs> I was not a prisoner. Uh, it's, it's some cruise ships, you know. I mean, so a lot of people who work on cruise ships, they I don't want to say they're prisoners, but I mean, they yeah. work 90 hours a week. Ooh. They don't get days off for, you know, yeah. four months at a time. But I worked like 10 hours a week and I spent most of my time on the beach. So it was pretty <laughs> oh, glorious. A I'm not going to lie. Yeah. You really did get into the uh, eating uh, grubs. and. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you do? You work at Disney now still. Uh, or you were I mean, working at Disney? Technically, I'm still yeah. employed. Well, yeah. who, who works anywhere but, now? Yeah, I, I'm furloughed. Now. What were you doing before all this started there? Um, I was working in distribution. So selling our movies to movie theaters, which is oh, okay. a lot more difficult than it sounds but better <laughs> to be selling better to be selling disney movies than than many other right stories. so it, it wasn't that hard but come on buy the new star wars, star wars movie yeah. <laughs> it's it's more like i always equated it to everyone wants a porsche yeah not everybody can get a porsche <laughs> and our movies are more expensive we have a lot more rules you know disney we're very rule oriented so it's relationships if it's like a small theater somewhere in the middle of who knows where i never thought about that like I, I just assumed it was like everyone gets every movie so a small theater mm -mm. couldn't necessarily mm -mm. buy the and rights it's not that it. they don't get it everyone's gonna get it it's mm. when they get it do they get uh. it on opening week do they you know how long do you have to hold the movie if if you have a rule where you have to hold the movie for four weeks but right. you're in a town of seven thousand people or <laughs> 700 people some yeah. of these places it's like i can't show star wars for four yeah. weeks <laughs> i don't um, know 
so there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of stuff negotiating and everything. And it's also like sometimes you want to get into those theaters, but you can't because they only have one screen. So, you know, right. who's, yeah. whose turn is it this week kind of thing? Fighting with Warner Brothers every single, <laughs> every other week. So you started your show during the pandemic. Can you just walk us through how that started? Yeah. So, well, I technically, I started it right before. I oh, mean, did when you? did the pandemic start? I, I started it right before we were told to go home from work. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so the idea had come to me, given to me rather, by a coworker at huh. the Christmas party. So, you know, a couple months before <laughs> the pandemic, because uh, I used to bring in these historical foods and, and people would eat them and I'd give them little lectures. It was really popular. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> before you eat that. <laughs> um, and somebody who, you know, and did enjoy them said, you yeah. should put this online. You know, people would actually enjoy learning the stuff and, and finding out how to make these foods. And so I kind of thought about it for a couple months and, and finally put out my first episode. I just had my year, my one year anniversary last pandemic week, anniversary pretty much pandemic right now, anniversary so. <laughs> yeah and then when the pandemic hit and i was sent home from work a couple weeks into the show then i was like okay i can put out an episode every week nay i have to because <laughs> i have nothing else to do right. other than sit and watch tv all day so it was kind of like because my fiance was still working so it was my just the thing to keep me out of his hair yeah because yeah. i had to sit upstairs and not watch tv all day <laughs> so i i do kind of miss because now i have like no time to watch tv i really do kind of miss those very early days where i could be like all right, I'm going to watch an entire season of TV oh. today. Yeah. Me too. It was we were watching 3 episodes of The Sopranos every single day for like 2 months. In the first few weeks, I would sit down and watch an entire season of a Midsummer Murders, which is a British murder mystery show. <laughs> yes. It's literally 12 hours of television. <laughs> and I would do it in a sitting. I would order food. I surprising that i put on weight in those first months <laughs> those were the glory days yeah so you were basically doing this only unfilmed before your show and any of this yeah i mean obviously it was very different when it was unfilmed because yeah. i would you know i'd make the food and then i'd throw in a couple historical facts now it's like a 10 minute lecture every episode <laughs> that people get um you know it's it's evolved and it's heavily researched like you really dig through like it seems like archives and really try to find and like looking up yeah. looking up what this means to find out what this means sort of research which is yeah i'm not, I'm not going near that <laughs> i you know i really enjoy it it's yeah. a lot jose my fiance tells me that it's like i've decided to do a history final every single <laughs> tuesday and it really is i some of these episodes take a lot of research i enjoy it but each week it is it is rather exhausting. Yeah, it uh, must be. Namely, just because like, I get tired of reading. I'm a slow <laughs> reader. I read about as fast as I speak, so it's not fast. So, you know, yeah. it's, it's, um, it's a lot. Yeah, yeah. we. Uh, I think on our show, it's the same thing. At least it's not every week for us, but every month it feels the same way of like, oh my God, this paper's due. How are we yeah. Gonna, yeah. How right? are we going to get this done? But what I found is that, you know, because I thought that people would come for the food and then I would kind of force feed them some history. It was like, this is, you're going to take your medicine. But it turns out that the history section is the most consistently watched. Basically, if you get to the history section of the video, 99% of those people are going to finish it, which is pretty impressive that, you yeah. know, that's the part people enjoy. What got you into historical food to begin with? Uh, the Great British Bake Off. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> yes. So in the early seasons, talking about 
watching an entire season of television in one sitting. We went to, I went with a good friend of mine to Disney World on vacation. And then she got sick. And we spent the entire time in the room, pretty much, <laughs> eating nachos and watching the Great British Bake Off. And I became obsessed with it. And so when I came home, I made everything that they had made on the show. So that's how uh -huh. I actually taught myself how to bake and, okay. and cook because I hadn't really cooked before that. But they used to have these little history segments on the show. And they would you know, talk for two minutes about the history of whatever food they were making. And then they discontinued those. I guess mm -hmm. people weren't that interested. <laughs> uh, but I was and I missed them. So that's kind of how the format of the show in a way came to me was like, I want to recreate that feeling of learning about the food that they were making. Before I want to step away from food for a second, because I have to ask about your Pokemon that are always in the background. <laughs> yes. Why did you decide to do that? <laughs> I didn't. How it started, the first episode didn't have a Pokemon. Well, actually, the first episode was filmed in my kitchen. So the second episode, it wasn't a Pokemon. It was uh, Brewster from the old Animal Crossing games. Okay. <laughs> and it was simply because he used to sit on our bar cart and I was filming and didn't notice that he was behind me. But mm. people noticed, like some of my friends, you know, it was just my friends and family who were watching that. And they were like, oh, why do you have that? You know, and so the next week I was like, I'll switch it out, put another one. <laughs> but those first like four or five weeks, they weren't Pokemon. There were other characters and stuff that I had. But then my Jose's collection, uh, I mean, we're, we're only audio, I guess, but I have yeah. a bunch of them behind me. It's like yeah. a pile and this is only half of them. He has a collection. So he was like, you know what? I'm going to start featuring these in your show. So you don't put anything. So I tell him each week, like, okay, I'm doing an episode on Irish stew and the potato famine. And he will pick a Pokemon to go with it. And sometimes it's really on the nose. And then sometimes uh, there isn't the a Pokemon. Irish Pokemon. For, yeah. Well, so like there's one that kind of looks like potatoes coming out of the ground, you know? So sometimes it's a little more, a little tongue in cheek, I guess. But um, yeah, I've, I mean, I, I lost track of Pokemon after the first, I think 300. So if you told me there was like, this one's an Irish potato Pokemon, it, I'd believe you. Cause there's sure. so many crazy things. Now. They're, they're like 800 and something now. And they yeah. are just so crazy. And I was never a, a big Pokemon fan growing up. I was I was kind of too old for that, but I got into never he was. Old. You never well, that's what I found out because he would try to get me into it and I was like, no, no, no. And then Pokemon Go came out and we spend so much time like yep. walking around playing that game. So it like taught me all the Pokemon. So now I'm into it. And suckered into it that's with that game. walking game. Yeah. <laughs> it's the only way I get exercise these days. So. I want to know what's of all the things you've made cuz I've always said that food from like the 60s and earlier is pretty disgusting but you make good stuff but i want to know what the most disgusting thing you've ever made or tried from the show has been mm, the most disgusting thing i i think probably well the kiki on which is i mean who knows if it's actually it's a pokemon it's right it sounds like it no it's this potion and when i use the word potion i mean like magical potion that was made in ancient greece homer talks about it in the iliad and basically it's it's just like wine and cheese it's it's basically a wine plate like wine cheese and barley mixed together into oh. like a porridge Oof. and it's and not even the flavor that was not great it was like the the texture 
I don't know. Ugh. It's kind of gloopy. It's kind of like that sludge from Harry Potter movies, uh, yes. the polyjuice potion. <laughs> yeah. oh, That's what God. I equated it to. Did it give you any powers when you drank it? <laughs> it gave me nothing but a little heartburn because of the wine. That's the powers. <laughs> That's <laughs> the power. The power of heartburn. I just watched your um, Cock and Trees episode the other day, yes. and the construction was disgusting, but you were in the, vid- in, the, in the episode was saying it was pretty good. I'm like, yeah, it would be good, but also visually, like if I I ate it a fork that's, under like a, it was like covered in something and I stuck a fork the thing. into a area. <laughs> yeah, that and the melosomos both. It's like, oh, they actually don't taste bad. It's just because the melosomos is made out of pig's blood. And then this mm. is a pig and a bird tied together and stuffed. <laughs> and it's just like, well, that's weird. But the flavors, I mean, pig, pork, or ham, and then bird chicken and then it's stuffed with like bread and saffron who doesn't want that i mean it's all <laughs> delicious stuff it's just like what a weird way. why did you put this together this way and i didn't come up with it just you know so people were like <laughs> island of dr moreau kind of stuff is he doing but i'm gonna thing. sew a lizard to this turkey <laughs> what was there anything that was too hard for you to make that you attempted and just tons I, well i don't attempt them usually yeah. I'm, I'm pretty i'm pretty well in tune with my skills. And so I'm like, I'm not going to be able to do this. And that happens. Though the cockatrice was one of those. So I never thought that I would make it. But over the last year, you know, if you spend, was it 10,000 hours doing something, you become, I haven't spent 10,000 hours, but I've spent a good amount of the last year cooking and you know learning honing my skills and everything and i still got a long way to go but but i was like okay i can do this and i watched hours of people oddly enough stitching up wounds (laughs) to learn how to stitch these animals together because you can't you look up how to stitch foods together there are surprisingly few videos on how to do that but if you're like well how do i give myself stitches and you're like oh i can watch hours of that it's like popper and stuff you know (laughs) you're a medic now also i I have to so it was the first time i've ever sewn anything i've never even sewn a button and i had several medical professionals say you actually did very good with those stitches so kudos (laughs) i was like all right pretty proud of myself i've got uh, i've got career options if this doesn't work out (laughs) mad scientist scientist. (laughs) so you you said that you had done some research on some quintessential not quintessential la but popular la that have become quintessential really dishes yeah yeah so you know what it was funny i was the first thing i was thinking was foods that were actually invented here like the cob salad was invented uh-huh. here and uh one of my favorite the, the french dip which mm-hmm. yeah. could be called the la dip but um <laughs> that was invented here but there actually isn't that much history around them it was like oh it was invented here end of story but there is a food that is very southern california very la and that's tamales and so i you know i had done an episode on the history of tamales going back to the Aztecs and the Mayans and, and the early tamales, but had only skimmed the surface of, you know, how they ended up here in Los Angeles. And um, and so it is kind of interesting because we don't know when tamales came to Los Angeles. It could have been before the Mexican-American War. The thing is, tamales are not, were not ubiquitous in Mexico. They were actually shunned by much of the society because they were seen as like the food of the poor. Mm. And by poor, I mean 
the food of the native Mexicans rather than the Spanish conquerors. Mm -hmm. So they had a stigma and that stigma lasted all the way until the 1900s. So we don't know if they had them here in Southern California early on. But by the 1870s, there are records of tamaleros or like tamale men selling tamales on the streets. What's interesting is, so a lot of them obviously were Mexican, but a lot of them were also Chinese. Really? Because Chinese immigrants had come over or had settled here. And often, you know, it, it's one thing to open a Chinese food restaurant or something like that, but it's much easier to start your business making tamales and selling them as a street food. And that's yeah. what they were. They were street food. So it's probably, you know, a, an easier way to get into into business. You but- know, it's weird that you mentioned that Chinese people were selling them because I had this thing I was in China that was kind of like a tamale that really? they serve like on certain holidays, but it's it's basically like sort of like a, a cornmeal sort of thing wrapped inside of, I don't know, it was like a banana leaf or some sort of husk. And I thought it was a tamale. Oh, so weird. it makes sense that it, there's something familiar, like kind of familiar yeah. to them, maybe. I mean, tamales are very simple, if mm-hmm. extremely labor intensive yes. to me, <laughs> but they're simple and they keep. So you can, it's hard, like, Okay, I'm going to make some, I don't know, chow mein five minutes out on the street and that stuff is cold and not (laughs) terribly pleasant to sell and it's hard to like, you can't just pick one up with your hand. Um, Whereas tamales, it's a grab and go food, you know, and that's how they used to be. You, You didn't eat them with a fork. You would leave them kind of wrapped in the husk and eat them, you know, it, it was a hand food. But it, it started to get a stigma, you know, who, who knows exactly what it was, but it was uh, probably a racist, you know, it was the 1890s and stuff. Yeah, had to so be. they tried to, yeah, it had to be. <laughs> they tried to, they tried to get rid of these um, tamaleros off the streets of downtown LA. They started putting in laws that made it so they could only sell during certain hours of the night. So it was like, oh, that you can start selling at 10 p.m. and <laughs> And you can only sell on these three blocks of downtown. And then they started They're making equating them. it to like prostitution. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. Um, you can only do it in this district after this hour. The red, light red tom- <laughs> The red hot district. Yeah. <laughs> um, they started putting like, you had to pay for a license to sell it, which I mean, I kind of get that. Yeah. And then they tried to just outlaw them all together, but it never really, it never really worked. They... They just kept going. That's kind of similar to what with the like uh, the hot dog carts and all that today. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. What finally got them out for for a long time was the Olympics in 1932, and they did a clean sweep and and got rid of all of the street vendors in favor of indoor sit down restaurants. What's interesting is those indoor sit down restaurants were not, for the most part, called. Mexican food when they when they were selling Mexican food because you could buy tamales and tacos and stuff in these restaurants but they weren't called Mexican food they were called Spanish food which my grandmother used to call Mexican food Spanish food because that's what she grew up yeah. thing and it was yeah. because there was a stigma around Mexican food there was one place called Little Pedro's in downtown that like we are Mexican food and they actually <laughs> they they and they were around for forever. Uh, they only closed, I, I don't know, probably like 15 or 20 years ago, I think. Otherwise, it was Spanish food. And even today, there's still like a vestigial 
Spanish thing. If you go to a Mexican food restaurant and order rice, they still will call Spanish it Spanish rice. rice. Yeah. There's nothing Spanish about it. It's Mexican. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that's like why the yeah the Spanish. Why would I don't know? That doesn't make it's, that doesn't make any sense. There's you know, the, do we still have a little bit of that stigma? I think I think yes. You know, yeah. in this country we do. So just imagine what it was 150 years yeah. ago, 120 years ago. I'm sure it was a lot worse. Do um, you know if tamales were like? Because I know that different parts of the country have t- they do tamales differently like i know in the south it's like chili in a corn husk or something they do so tamales have had like different waves of popularity coming into the united states and so they came up originally through texas and the people who actually were selling them were not mexican but it was black people who again it was the tamale men typically were african-american people selling in huge in memphis huge in chicago huge in kansas city and so that was again back in the day that's going to create a stigma around them as well Mm. so they were seen as um you know and and they were very different from from the tamales that we eat because they would have influences from African-American cuisine, from Texas cuisine, so chili, like you said. They were much spicier. They typically were much spicier than what we have out here in the West. Okay. Uh, they were called red hots yeah, instead of I was, tamales. I was going to ask why they would always say like, hot, come get your hot tamales. They're so spicy. I've never had a spicy it tamale. Was, so they were actually called red hots, not because of the spice, but because they were served hot. Mm. Oh, So okay. that's Misleading. why. that's where the, the term had come from they were called red hots as were hot dogs hot dogs, so yeah. it was kind of you know that's <laughs> which confusing. are so spicy <laughs> so spicy <laughs> hey, spicy hot dog um but so in 1893 the chicago had the world's fair and that was the first time that that tamales went mainstream because they served them at the chicago world's fair and so everyone you know they became incredibly popular throughout the entire country and that started off the tamale wars, which I kid you not, were extremely violent. Oh like God. people died. Really? They were essential. So think of like drug gang war back in the 80s, but it's tamales. So different cities. And, and in my tamale episode, I actually quote some of these articles in Kansas City, in St. Louis, in Dallas. They had these different factions who ran the tamale carts and they would get on each other's turf and fight and people died. <laughs> And they were called the Tamale Wars. It was a huge thing back in like the early 1900s through the 1920s. So there's always that like little part of history where it's like, really? <laughs> yes, really. But I don't think they ever came to the came to the West Coast. At least I couldn't find any history of the Tamale Wars oh, in Los Angeles. <laughs> Los Angeles tamales ended up becoming something very different for a while because when they got big in 1893, then in 1894, there was a company called Excelente or Excellent, which is just spelled X-L-N-T tamales. <laughs> and it's actually, it's still around today. It's mm-hmm. one of the oldest not only the oldest Mexican food companies in the country, but it's one of the oldest companies in Southern California. Hmm, Really? And they would make tamales, but they would be kind of different. They would be beef, but then also carrots are in them. Uh And still to this day, that's the recipe. Carrots are in them. And instead of being wrapped in corn or banana leaves, they would be wrapped in like kind of paper. And okay. they actually like lined paper. So they, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Wide rule. Um, <laughs> so they actually ended up becoming very, very popular and still are to this day. You can find them in like the 
frozen food sections at Ralph's sometimes yeah. and stuff. But they are, if you took one to Mexico <laughs> and said, this is a tamale, you'd just get laughed at because they're and very, they, they I've never had one, so I can't say that they're not good, but they're not <laughs> No, this authentic. is a tamale. I, you know, I think the ones from Trader Joe's, which maybe are made by that company, have the the beef ones have carrot in them. So I wouldn't Carrots. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I mean, they're still around, so they're they're doing something yeah. right. But they're, they're just definitely not, you know, now I, I feel like tamales are best when they're home made and around the holidays there are yeah. huge you know tamale making parties and stuff mm-hmm. like that so it's it's just very very different food but you know yeah it's always been like november to february food for me yeah. by february it's already like we're on the last couple tamales and <laughs> enough of the yeah. them that's the nice thing they last forever when they started out back in you know the mayan and early aztec era they were a way to make food portable and and travelable so you could make some tamales and then once that corn is cooked it's not going to go bad so they wouldn't necessarily put stuff in it like you're not going to have beef and well they didn't have beef but uh you're not even going to put meat or anything in there because that could go bad but the corn's not going bad so it would just be wrapped cooked corn hmm. you can keep it for months travel I feel like with those it. are the best things because I, I always hear like civil war soldiers they like they invented fried chicken and like hard-boiled eggs because that could last them in their battle and now those Stuff are that's all i eat now is fried, <laughs> chicken <laughs> and fried chickens eggs. and hard-boiled eggs <laughs> i wonder at what point when did tacos take over as being like the street food the 1930s okay really <laughs> yeah it was in the 1930s that tamales as the street food kind of started waning and tacos came in and i mean still to this day that's what at least here in la i feel like yeah i don't see there aren't that many tamale sellers on the streets probably because it's a lot of work to make tamales (laughs) granted they last but tacos it's like here you go yeah so much easier and no one's going to try to hold on to a taco for like a month so (laughs) no no you shouldn't do that they're too good (laughs) i I can't hold on to them for like an hour (laughs) i wrap mine in corn husk what do you want (laughs) i did find it was it was interesting just because i'm always like shocked and annoyed by how cheap things used to be um and i found a menu from 1927 and it had two tamales 25 cents it's actually, you know, shaving a haircut, two yeah. tamales. I think those are some pretty expensive tamales, considering <laughs> a shaving a haircut now, that's like 40 bucks. So <laughs> Nothing gets me madder than going through old menus, looking at prices, and I don't even try to figure out the exchange between, like, time yeah. and, like, what yeah. that would have meant. I'm just mad that, like, that steak was $7? <laughs> the <No>. coconut grow? <laughs> <laughs> that or, God, don't, don't even look at home prices then. It's like four thousand dollars for a six bedroom <laughs> yeah for the Phoenix. for the biggest house in the city yeah there was i i really wish so do you guys i was gonna say do you guys remember because <laughs> no you don't but there was a period of time where especially in la all over the country but especially in la they would build buildings shaped like yeah. what they sold like the brown derby was a brown derby hat yeah even though they didn't sell hats but they didn't sell hats it was very confusing actually um but one of the oldest tamale restaurants there were the tamale sellers but then they like legitimized when they had the restaurants and you could actually go eat there it was called the tamale and they sold hamburgers hot tamale pie and malted milk 
but it was shaped like a tamale. And uh, it was, it was a, I think, in like downtown. And now it's obviously how do you, not there. But. That's just like a rectangle. No, with it's like no, ridges it's like on a tamale. It. It's like round. It's like, it's got like cylindrical. Yeah, it's kind of cylindrical. And But how uh, can you tell it's a tamale? I mean, looking at a tamale. It says the tamale on it. That's how you tell. Because they tell you it's a tamale. I think one of the facades of, if they had a chain, I think one of them is still surviving because I think SO Turek has a tour where they pass the old tamale thing and it's just like painted white now. I don't know what it is. It's probably like tax services or something now. Right. But I tamale think, tax services. <laughs> tamale <laughs> services. But I think that one of the facades for that is still up, which is fascinating that someone's like, we got to preserve this big tamale. You know what I think? I think too, because there's a picture somewhere. You can find a picture of it on the internet. And I think like the, the ends are kind of like tapered and then look like they've been tied oh. off. Okay. At the end of the building, so you know it gives a little tamale. It could double yeah, as a yeah. hot dog stand, though. It I could still totally maintain. double as a hot dog stand, like a really short hot dog. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> my favorite kind, really short and spicy. I, I want to know because we were thinking about like historic, because we've gone over in some of our episodes like things that were invented in LA and like old LA restaurants. What are do you have any things from LA history from certain places that you've wanted to try? Because we came up with a few that I don't. I, I don't know. I'm trying to think. All the I'll stuff that I want to try don't exist anymore. Like I'd, get, I'd love to go to the Brown Derby, but yeah, well, that's that's happen. one of my yeah. These are things that no longer exist because I would yeah. want to try the coconut cake from the Brown Derby. I hear was yeah. great. I want to try a hot fudge sundae from CC Brown, which was <laughs> yes, the place that invented, invented it. Yeah, and I also want to try a cookie from the original Famous Amos. Right? Was that here? Yeah, it was on Sunset. Yeah. Wait, I didn't know Famous Amos was like a oh, he's actual a baker. Well, I knew he was a person, <laughs> but I didn't know he had a location. I thought I always yeah. thought that he just sold in stores. No, um, he yeah. had a he had a store on Sunset Boulevard because he worked at I forget like A and E Records or some record. Oh, record right. label and he would just like bring in cookies during the holidays and kind of like you and he'd be and people would be like these are great cookies you should do something and he opened up a store and that's, that's so how it cool. all started yeah i but love, I love famous amos cookies even now like just the package i can eat an entire oh box my god yeah, i would yeah. eat one every single day in elementary school with my one <laughs> no one, one box one, right what yeah one, i would go with like a costco case every single day <laughs> <laughs> it had its own wheels and yeah. a <laughs> your cat's like doing gymnastics behind yeah, you. Yeah, I don't know what they're doing. What is he doing? He's nuts. He's nuts. <laughs> what do what did you come up with, Greg? What did you want to try from LA? History? It's funny because you were you were I think we'd all agree what we really want is the experience of being at a place because there's nothing like yeah. exclusively just, you know, that you can only get at this certain point. But like right. the Moscow meal was made at the Cock and Bull for the first time. I would have liked to have oh. it there and then I, just looking through old menus there's so many desserts that I would have tried on name only which aren't even like the rum baba just sounds good but <laughs> oh, it's yeah. just like a strawberry shortcake pretty much covered in rum so. but I would want to be at the coconut grove eating a rum baba that would be nice I would like to have visited and had like a, a soda you know an old timey soda old timey soda uh, would be <laughs> what was it where no it's just gone out of my head it was just south of Sunset on Vine and it was where the actress was was discovered oh, at Schwab's. Schwab's? Yeah. Yeah. Schwab's. I yeah. Get, I want to get <laughs> yeah, discovered and make it in the talkies. <laughs> I want the Lana Turner story for the me. Lana though. Turner, there it is. Yes. You know, you. actually that place was where F. Scott Fitzgerald bought the Hershey bar that gave him a heart attack oh. from Schwab's. Oh, and another addition to this story, Nathaniel West, who wrote Dave Locust, died on his way to the 
F. Scott Fitzgerald funeral. That place is cursed. <laughs> so do you really want to go there? No, maybe not. <laughs> we <Okay>. got you. <laughs> All right. Instead, I want a cocktail at Trader Vic's back in like the oh. in the heyday. I'll do that instead. <laughs> Fair. No one's died from Trader Vic's that we know of. Yeah. They cover it all up. <laughs> so what are what are your, like right now? What are some of the places you like around LA to eat? Obviously, I can't go anywhere right now. Really? Well, um, yeah. <laughs> when I say right now, I mean My a kitchen. year. My I mean year, a, year a year and four ago. months ago. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, you know what? Moza is is one of my favorite places. As is oh, Bloodsos. Oh, it's a Blood barbecue Sos is place really good. on is it on La Brea? La Brea, yeah. Third, right past Pink's. Fourth Street. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, just south of Pink's. They're and really good. the amount of like unbelievable quality meat that you can get is it's brilliant you don't feel like you even because they sell like barbecue sandwiches and barbecue you know stuff like that not no i want a pound <laughs> of meat and, and they don't look at you like you're crazy they're like yeah. here it is pound of meat that's how yeah. that's how it's sold the Fantastic. last time i was there the table next to me it was like four people but they got like a whole ranch's worth of beef <laughs> just like brought yes. up to their table on a forklift and it looked yeah. great <laughs> no their brisket is mm -hmm. to die for it's yeah. amazing yeah, uh, so that's place. definitely one of my one of my favorite places good one mm. you should try the uh, i don't know if you've been there the fair oaks pharmacy if you want an old soda fountain experience in uh pasadena no. south pasadena yeah yeah oh i have to check them out well those are do you have any more questions greg that's all i've got no just praise i think you're fantastic and thank yeah. you for taking time oh, to talk to us <laughs> thank you it's my pleasure we'll say bye to you off the air so we'll 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 end this recording but let's publicly right. say thank you so much for for doing this with us thank you for having me all right i'm gonna stop the recording and we'll, and we'll keep talking and make fun of all the listeners <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.